Good morning. Today we're here with Nathaniel Bittman from NFM Lending. Mm -hmm. Good morning, Nathaniel. Well, good morning. Thank you for coming, spending the time with us. I appreciate you having me. I can't wait. I want to get into that head. I want to learn. <laughs> I want to know what's going on in the market. Well, first, um, if you did not know, Nathaniel has changed his position a little bit. Mm -hmm. Now he is the branch manager, correct? So yes, I, I serve as a regional manager for another organization that was at for 10 years. Great company. And recently I made a change to a branch division of a partner that I joined uh, who I've known for almost about 30 years, Jane Floyd's oh, wow. team. So yeah, I'm excited to be a branch in her division. Very excited. Wonderful, wonderful. Congratulations Thank again. You. Thank you. Well, I want to talk to you with what's going on in the world as far as how is that affecting the market? Can you give me a little bit of details with yeah, that? Yeah, you know, and I, and I just to kind of clarify, are you referring to kind of some of the international issues out there with Russia and Ukraine? Yes, that's okay. what I really mm -hmm. want to know because everybody mm -hmm. is in the news today and mm -hmm. we're seeing things, prices on gas, talking about the interest rate. So I want to know what's going on. Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, we talk about, you know, this dichotomy that we're having. Uh, the market is, is experiencing severe inflationary measures. We're in hyperinflation. Mm -hmm. And what that really means is, is that a normal balanced market, inflation is commonly about two, two and a half percent at most. And now what we're experiencing is inflation is hovering closer to seven and a half percent. So we have a bit of a runaway train. And the concern with inflation is, is that where does it stop? So this is, we'll talk about gas prices okay. in the international market in a moment. But if you just look at overall costs and expenditure across the board, eggs, milk, uh, produce, anything you buy is exponentially high. And really the only way you can control that, at least from a layman perspective, a common man or woman mm -hmm. like you and I, we find ourselves that the only way we can compete with inflation is employers and firms and organizations have to raise their prices, right? Correct. So usually most people out there, uh, we're accustomed to the organizations that we work for, we may get with cost of inflation, people get a raise every year about 3%. Mm -hmm. So if inflation is rising about 3%, you get a cost of you know, your wage earnings 3%. But to raise wages to about 7.5%, that's a lot. I mean, that, that's, that's, a, that's a big jump. It and it, we have to keep that under control. So um, you know, internationally, what we're seeing there with Russia and Ukraine, kind of a, a dichotomy there as well. We did find that when Russia did invade Ukraine, we found that SWIFT, one of the international banking systems out there, that really handles sort of bank-to-bank -bank transactions on an international global level, they, they cut off Russia. They basically told Putin and Russia, we're gonna, we're gonna cut your banking systems out of the international trade system. And really what that ultimately did is if you went to sleep at like Sunday night uh, and it costs you $2 to feed your family the next day in Russia, when you woke up the following morning by about 9.13 a.m., that $2 dropped in value down to about 125, 130. And to put that in perspective, the Russian ruble had just collapsed. The value of the ruble collapsed. Uh, and really what that did was, is because the Russian ruble had really drastically dropped so much, people internationally were just pumping money into the American economy. They were pumping money into bonds. We'll talk about bonds in a moment, which really just kind of made rates go in a very weird place. But the big issue right now that I think we're concerned about is people have to realize how many American businesses, international businesses, uh, businesses in South America, businesses in Germany, businesses internationally all over are actually in Russia. So if you have a, a business and it's, it's, we'll use a McDonald's for an example, uh, there are McDonald's in Russia. There are American businesses in Russia. Russians really enjoy and love to consume a lot of American goods. They love Versace. They love, 
you know, Dior, they mm -hmm. love Nike. You know, there's, there's pictures of, you know, Russian people running around and, and they're wearing, you know, Jordan sneakers. So when you think about the amount of trade and now all of a sudden you drop the value of the ruble, which is the Russian currency, mm -hmm. that dramatically affects the interests of American businesses and international businesses in Russia, further creating, you know, some, some sense of panic in all international markets. So what I want to say first and foremost is, is that we, for the first time in a long time, we're experiencing a monetary war. There's the war, which is awful, but how we're combating against the war with a powerhouse like Russia is by sanctions and monetary. We're going to cut them off from their banking systems. We're going to sanction them off in certain areas. And, you know, the hard, the hard thing that we have to all experience now is, you know, Putin. You know, Putin, uh, when you talk about the reservoir for oil uh, and the reserve for crude, he basically came back and said, fine, if you want to play that game, I can play the same game. I'm going to cut off crude and I'm going to cut off oil. And now we've seen oil prices exponentially climb drastically. Mm -hmm. Uh, even though this particular American administration has offered to provide um, millions of barrels for us, we go through that just like that. So it's anticipated that we should see gas prices around $5 a gallon probably sometime in the beginning of the summer. Oh, yeah. I mean, it went like overnight. I just filled up this morning, and this was at the Costco because, you know, you go to these places to try to get it get as cheap as possible. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, it was four thirty-five, mm -hmm. and I just filled up this weekend and it was 405 so just in two three days it just went up and I'm hearing it's gonna keep going it's gonna keep going only because you know what people have to understand is Putin's making a lot of money you know with the control of oil and raising mm -hmm. crude and putting pulling pulling crude where it's at so so that's a real concern I mean some of these sanctions may help I think where it's really hurting people in Russia these sanctions is that the common man in Russia or the common woman in Russia that's buying milk buying coffee buying tea yeah. Because the value of the ruble has depreciated so much. Um, and there's a counter move to that. The counter move is that, you know, people are going to get cash because they can't use their credit. Mm -hmm. Right? The SWIFT, SWIFT kind of cut the international banking system, so credit has been compromised. So we have a lot of Russian citizens that are running around and saying, well, I need cash. Uh, and they're going to the ATMs and the and banks. And trying to get all the money out of the banks. And they can't get them because there's just not enough cash. Mm -hmm. So Putin told his Federal Reserve and his Treasury, hey, start printing up rubles. Just start cranking the machine and kick out rubles and put them in ATMs so people can get their cash. So now you see a massive surplus of rubles, which further Makes devalues, exactly. exactly, dilutes the value of the ruble, compounding the effect. Mm -hmm. So a big monetary war, and I believe a theorist that I've heard you know, make a comment is that they hope that you know, many Russian citizens are just saying, hey, we can't live like this. It's great that you could subsidize this war with oil and everything else, but we have to live, and we can't live. So that, that's the concern. Yeah, well, I've been hearing a lot in the radios where they're saying their family members, they can't get food. It's costing them too much money. Yeah, and inflation, they, hyperinflation. Yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah. So mm -hmm. now with that, bringing it back home. Yes. We see, like you said, we talked about the gas prices mm. and the, the just inflation in mm. general. How do you see that affecting the market as far as real estate is concerned? So that's a really great question. So my first comment is, is that we need to eliminate all of the international concerns. Let's put that to the side. Mm -hmm. And rates are almost a different subject, too. If we're talking about models and features and we see exponential demand rising. We see 
the Hispanic market and the international market starting to migrate. We see second and third generation Latinos now mm -hmm. that are you know, coming to the age of where they're going to start buying homes. We have massive surging demand for housing with simply limited supply. So if we just use the simple supply and demand chain, uh, we have a shortage. And we're going to continue to have a shortage for quite some time. In terms of affordability, that's the bigger concern. How do we handle affordability? Exactly. So when you think about what I call as an oxymoron, the federal government had raised the Fannie Mae loan limit to 642 and change. Mm -hmm. And the FHA loan limit has gone up to about 42600 So that's great. A lot of the loans that we do from a housing perspective, lower interest rate loans, are G-side lending, they're government lending. And when you see that minimum loan balance go up, that's great. However, if you think about what Fannie Mae and FHA and Freddie Mac were really designed to, there were charters designed to increase affordable housing and first-time homebuyer homeownership. But what's interesting is, is they raised the loan limit to help us have more capital at lower cost, yet they also increased the interest rates, further making it difficult for people that are trying to get affordable housing. It almost boxes them out further. Well, that goes into, like you said, the cost for employees to their income. The, the, the people have to start making more money because the average house is no longer you know, 200,000. You're looking at 350, 400,000. Mm. Okay, great. FHA has increased their limits, mm. so now you can buy a house FHA. But like you said, the rates are going to go high. The more you are financing, the more you have to make. The more you have to make, or something has to give up, right? Exactly. I got to give something up. The rates have to stay down. Yeah. But if the rates are going to go up, it's it's going to make it hard. Yeah, I mean, you think about it, if, if, if my housing payment is going to go up and I need to live somewhere, you got to live in a house, mm -hmm. what am I willing to give up? Restaurant meals, right? Maybe there's, there's what we call luxury or frivolous items. Mm -hmm. Maybe you'll you know, enjoy buying certain things. Maybe you don't need that extra shirt off of the rack. Maybe you don't need to buy the extra pair of shoes. Uh, there's going to be some items that are discretionary spending income, and we've already seen that, you know, Gabby, is that now we're seeing discretionary income in the last two months exponentially drop and the market the stock market is having real concerns about that because discretionary I mean we'll use iPhone as an example mm -hmm. I mean at what point are you gonna spend 1500 for an iPhone 2000 2500 uh, maybe you're just gonna keep your iPhone or your Samsung phone and you're gonna hold that a little mm -hmm. longer not get the more upgraded version because your housing price has gone up and by the way, something consumers need to be aware of, which is really important. We don't talk a lot about this, but your title company does a great job with this. Consumers need to be aware that when you're buying a home today, the taxes that are being used to buy your home is the current homeowner's taxes. So if I'm buying a home for yeah. 500, that homeowner may have bought that home for 200,000. When your account is being set up, it's using taxes based on that $200,000 mm -hmm. purchase. So one year down the line, when the county comes out to reappraise your home, your tax prices are going to rise. Correct. The other thing that's going to rise is insurance because now the property values have all gone up so much higher. If somebody experienced a hazard or if there was a hurricane or something happened, it's more expensive to pay for the cost of repair. So everybody's insurances are going to start to go up. So again, when we look at this pandemic, um, I call it a pandemic, of where we have massive hyperinflation, if we can't get that under control, there's a trickle-down economic effect that's going to really long-term affect people's buying power. Yes, yes. But in terms of housing, there's limited, limited supply, massive demand. People are still going to be hungry to get into homes. Oh, yeah. I mean, what, 
the title company was seeing it all day long. Just sales after sales after sales after sales. I mean, you've got also people who, for example, in Florida, are coming into Florida. Right. They're saturating us. Mm -hmm. They're coming in, selling houses in New York, up north. They have all this money. They're coming here. They're buying it. It's making it harder. So that's why we're seeing these prices. We're, mm -hmm. we're getting contracts for $20,000, $30,000 more than the asking sure. price. And then we're having to see, okay, are appraisals coming in? I mean, mm -hmm. you're in the lending mm -hmm. business. Are you seeing effects with that, with the appraisal meeting? Oh, we are. Sales yeah, I mean, we're seeing what we're seeing is a two-pronged effect. We're seeing inspections being severely impacted. Mm -hmm. um, you know, somebody may go out; they're going to do an inspection on their home. They're going to spend a half a million dollars, five hundred thousand on a home, and they've got a dated roof. They've got an aged, you know, uh, the air conditioning unit might be mm -hmm. aged. We're seeing appliances that are a bit dated. There are people that didn't maybe maintain their homes as well in that two hundred and two hundred and fifty thousand dollar price range. Now those homes are jumping to 450, 475. And by the way, 400, 450, 475 for many, uh, for, for many middle class Americans, that's the peak. I mean, that's about, with rising rates, that's about as high as you can go. So if you have to go over asking 20,000, if you have to cover gap price, uh, somebody's moving into a home and they're gonna be stripped of their cash. So an aged roof, uh, an expired or dated mm -hmm. air conditioning unit, um, dated appliances but we're seeing that all day long where it's on the addendums where it says the buyer will make the difference between the appraisal and yes. the and the purchase Correct. price so they're having to come up with that difference but now what we're looking at because we have people coming from up north and from everywhere with this cash mm -hmm. to be able to do that mm -hmm. the housing market as far as maybe low-income families they can't compete with that because they don't have that extra money. They can't to 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 try to get that house. So what are what are what are we doing it, about it, that? So it's a great that's a great question. So the one topic that we have to look at is rent control. Mm -hmm. um, right now, in the state legislature in Florida, uh, they don't allow municipalities at a local level to determine and establish rent control. So that's a big topic. I know St. Petersburg just tried to pass a law um, having some type of rent control. Yes but it got, it got turned down because a municipality can't do that. What you're gonna start to see happen is Florida regulators and lawmakers coming out and giving rights to municipalities, local municipalities, uh, city of Tampa, city of St. Petersburg, to make the determination that if they wanna put rent control in place, they can. Because the one thing that people need to understand is, you know, St. Petersburg is a peninsula, really. Mm -hmm. um, there's no major commerce, there's no industry, there's no trade, there's no port, there's no distribution. So when you think about that, who in St. Petersburg, you have a, a, a large number of retirees that are retiring early, you're right. Mm -hmm. They're retiring early, they're coming down now, but somebody has to work the restaurants. Correct. Somebody has to work the bars and the eateries. Someone's gotta work Publix. Someone's gotta work Walmart. Someone's gotta work you know, the grocery stores and they gotta also be able to work you know, cleaning establishments. So mm -hmm. when you think about that, that level of consumer that would do that type of work, it is almost impossible. To be able to live there. They can't live there. Nope. So now the question becomes, how far do you commute mm -hmm. to come to work? Does it make sense to pay $5 a gallon of gas and come from Riverview and spend $300 a week in fuel to make about $600 a week in cash to spend $300 a week in fuel? Exactly. Does it make sense? Well, you see how everything is interlocking yes. everything yes. is yes. playing here so they can't afford to live there mm -hmm. so they gotta commute but then they can't afford to commute because of the gas is right. outrageous 
So it's all hitting us at once. And like you said, the, the rates are, are going there. I'm hearing in the news that, well, starting in March, the rates are starting to go up. Yes. And, but what, what affects the rates? Okay, so that, and I'm so glad you brought that up because I want to explain to consumers or anybody listening to this, you know, the importance of, so, so we have this massive inflation issue. Mm -hmm. we, we agree, right? Yes, sir. Housing inflation, fuel inflation, cost of goods, survivability, right? All, all the stuff that we need. Luxury items, discretionary income, and necessities. So we know we have a major issue there. Um, now, what the bond market does, so interest rates are tied to the bond market. And what bond traders look at is bond prices are determined by maturity date. So if I buy a bond today for $1,000, I'm looking at what, what is this the maturity rate. So if it matures in 30 years, the bond comes due in 30 years, my belief is if I'm at $1,000, it may be worth $2,000, an example, in 15 years or in mm -hmm. 30 years, whatever that number is. If you have rising inflation and you can't control it, if, I, if my bond matures, a fixed product, and it's, it's determined that I'm going to get $2,000 in 15 years, but if rising inflation dilutes the value of the dollar, is that bond worth $2,000? No. no mm -mm. Right? It's exactly. not. It's, 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 it, what it may feel like is it's worth more like $1,200. So what the bond market is saying, federal government, if you can't control bonds, if you can, or if you can't control inflation, excuse me, we're going to control it. So what the bond market is doing is they're, they're messing with the price of bonds. They're not buying bonds. They're raising the price of bonds. They're messing around with bonds, and they're stepping out of the market because they want to make sure that, that until inflation gets controlled, they're not going to go ahead and purchase bonds because they're worthless. Mm -hmm. And if you don't have a supply of bonds, if you don't have a supply of money in the marketplace, if no one's buying bonds, there's no money to lend. But isn't that what the dollar is on? So the, so the dollar is predicated on the strength of a return. So if our dollar is devalued, like we see in Russia, exactly. Russia has massive inflation because their value has been severely, the, the ruble has been severely devalued. So if we, if we continue to see the dollar devalue, then the price of the bond becomes more and more less attractive mm -hmm. from a monetary standpoint. So now what the Fed is doing, what the federal government is doing is they've come out and they said, hey, you know, we made a mistake. Um, we, are not, we know now that inflation is not transitory. We were hawkish in our steps to be able to do that. So we're going to do the sort of the, the triple down effect. We're going to stop buying bonds. We're going to go ahead and pare down our balance sheet. And we're going to go ahead and raise the federal funds rate. So they're taking a three-pronged approach to go ahead and control inflation. It's a little too late, and now they're going too fast and furious, which is why you're seeing a massive surge in interest rates because they're just basically trying to make up for lost times. Wow, wow. Yeah, so rates will continue to rise. They have to. But the, now, do you think the housing market is going to slow down as far as their rise in cost for a home? Because, like you said, mm -hmm. if the housing market still goes up, the rates still go up, mm -hmm. we're still back in that same issue. Unless, like you said, we get rent control because people who can't afford to purchase will need to rent. Yes. So because you have such a massive demand for housing, I think that what people will do is yeah, there's going to be sticker shock on the rate. They're going to be feeling guilty that they didn't buy when they, or maybe they tried to, but mm -hmm. they couldn't. When rates were in the threes, rates will get into the mid to high fours. Maybe we may see five. I don't think that's going to stop consumers from buying homes okay. because they want to buy a home to get in it. It's still better than rent. Here's what we will see. What we will see are consumers saying, okay, the cost of this mortgage has now gone up. Mm -hmm. We have to get into a home. 
So what do we change? Well, maybe we don't need two cars. Maybe we can live with one. We don't really need to take a trip to go see your in-laws this year for Christmas. So why don't we cut back on some of those travel expenses? Maybe we'll do Christmas by Zoom. Uh, as opposed to buying 30, 40 gifts for their kids uh, you know, for the holidays and make massive stocking stuffers, they may decide to buy just one gift. So we are going to see consumers start to look at their budget and make adjustments and correlations to that. Maybe we don't take the summer trip. Maybe we don't go to Disney for the weekend. That's where you'll see, so that has a trickle-down effect. Because now the people who rely on consumers to purchase mm -hmm. that extra shirt, go on that vacation, they're going to see that drop. Sure. Now they're going to start going back to what happened before. Okay, well, we can't afford to keep our employees now because we're not selling as much right. of this, so people are going to start losing jobs. Yeah, if you see more online purchases, more Amazon purchases, mm -hmm. more discount shoppers, um, you know, that, that is a genuine concern. I have two concerns about the commercial market. I have two concerns about the retail market. One, are people going to commute? And if they're not going to commute, who's going to fill these places? Mm -hmm. Now, there is job creations. There's, I want to be very clear. Job creations are very high. Unemployment is very low. People are going back to work and they're working. But when you start to, when you start to kick in the economic compound effect, the trickle-down economic compound effect of what we don't feel the inflate. We're starting. We're talking about gas prices. We haven't really felt inflation yet. But if you pay $100 a week for fuel and now you're going to spend $200 a week on fuel, you now have to budget an extra $400 a month for fuel. You may not feel it right now today, but two or three months from now, something is going to give. Correct. So it's the trickle-down economic effect, and that's why I feel by summer, if we don't have a better strategy for inflation, we might start seeing the implications of that. So housing is going to be strong. We are going to want to buy homes. Other yeah. things are going to get compromised. Well, yeah, housing is always the best investment because, I mean, it's a, everybody needs to stay somewhere. So whether mm -hmm. you're a homeowner going to live there or mm -hmm. you buy a house and then you rent it out for mm -hmm. people. So that's another thing, like you said, I've been hearing a lot of people talk about rent and saying how these prices are going crazy. And, but then you're wondering if, he, if the homeowners are having to pay more mm -hmm. on their mortgage, then aren't they not going to be charging the tenants more to be able to make it? Oh, sure. And that's where the rent control piece comes in. If, if, you, if you're an investor and you want to buy a home and you know that now there's going to be rent control in place, how do you feel as an investor? Exactly. Are you going to spend a half a million dollars on an investment if you can't even cash flow? Exactly. So that may start the cycle to open up some more inventory. Mm -hmm. Here's an interesting one, and I'm pretty close with this number, but it was brought to my attention, so somebody should check my facts, but this is what I'm to understand. Since, the, since the first, this first quarter, we are on target that 41% of all transactions are either second homes or investment properties. Wow, so that's going to start lowering down. You would think. Well, we, we, we hope so, so mm -hmm. that this way may, it'll, like you said, open up, give us more inventory so mm -hmm. people can buy these homes and not pay the, those extra costs mm -hmm. above and beyond the, the listing price. We will start to see a correction at some point. It just has to. I mean, affordability is going to get compromised. Um, you know, investors, even though investors are buying more, and I think 25% of all, this I do believe is accurate, I believe 25% of all transactions are investors. Okay. So one out of four units are investors buying homes. Um, at some point, as the prices are going up, I buy a home, it's more expensive, then he buys a home, it's more expensive. At some point, you are going to box yourself out of a return on Correct. your investment. Correct. 
And at that point, the appetite to buy may just go away because affordability gets compromised. Mm -hmm. And that's when we might start seeing the correction. Now it's going to start to calm down a little bit. Prices are going to regulate a little bit. And some of this backlog, this massive backlog, Gabby, of people that want to buy homes, they're going to start to slowly come back to surface. So now back to that. Now people buying homes as a lender. What kind of programs are you finding out mm -hmm. there that's going to help the consumer purchase mm -hmm. these homes? So all the programs are pretty much the same. You can get into homes as little as 3% down. Uh, if you're in a USDA area, which is a rural housing area, doesn't mean rural like you're going to have a farm or have orange groves. Mm -hmm. But there are areas now in Florida that if you kind of go outside of the Tampa Bay area are considered rural housing areas. There's 100% financing available for those homes. Now, there are income restrictions to some of those. I think the status quo is going to remain. There are bank statement loans out there now for people that are self-employed. So there's plenty of product out there to put people in homes. In terms of affordability, that becomes the issue. I think the conversations are going to be more about what type of debts can you pay off to qualify? Do you have a relative that can help you with a gift to help buy down these debts? Uh, gap price, you know, people are going to have to start to tap into their 401k or their retirement to cover gap price. By the way, you can borrow against your 401k and you can pay yourself back the interest. So people are always like, oh, I don't want to tap into my retirement accounts. But you can borrow against your 401k, grab the cash, get into a home, and you just pay yourself back your own money, but you're paying yourself the interest, which is kind of a nice feature to have. So we'll see more of that. My, my, my biggest thing that I can see in terms of programs, it's more consumers being responsible to understand if you have a one-year plan, an 18-month plan, start to improve your credit. Mm -hmm. Start paying off some of these debts. Talk to a, a responsible mortgage advisor. Doesn't have to be me. It can be anybody. There's plenty of wonderful talent out there to help you, help you improve your credit score, what debts you should pay off, keeping certain utilizations in place. And the other big thing is, is start to save money uh, and really think about you know, buying down some of that debt so you have more room to fit into a more well, expensive home. Well, we're talking home. about debt. I know with um, financing, lenders usually like to see, well, what's that magic number of the debt-to-income ratio? Mm -hmm. Now, are you going to see that they're going to want to see more income and less debt because you're talking about them needing to pay down or buy, you know, debt. pay off some debts? Yeah. So, yeah, the debt-to-income ratio is, is definitely something that's important. You have to have what's called the ability to repay the federal government. These are federal government loans, folks. I mean, these are loans that are – these low rates you see are G-side lending. So when you talk about the Dodd-Frank legislation, there's a rule there about a lender's responsible to make sure the consumer has the ability to repay. And that's tied to ratios. And debt-to-income ratios are – we look at all of your debts. Now, it doesn't mean what you pay for groceries or what your gym membership is, but we do look at – what's reporting on your credit report. So a car loan, any minimum credit card payments, student loans. By the way, if your student loans are deferred, we still have to count those in your ratios. Still have to count them because we know eventually you're going to be required to pay them. That can be a killer for some people. So in terms of that strategy, ratios, when we take your total debts, we take the income, your gross income, not your net income, and we basically do a divisionary metric there, and your ratios cannot be more than 45 to 50%. Oh, wow. FHA will have some flexibility to go above 50% with some compensating factors. Uh, and you should talk to your mortgage advisor about that. Okay. But in general, mainstream, 45 to 50%. Okay, okay. Now with the programs again, are, we, are you seeing any new programs coming out from like local 
municipalities assisting mm -hmm. with first-time home buyers mm -hmm. and those um, first-time home buyer loans? We do see that. I mean, you know, the city of Tampa, the city of St. Petersburg, Pasco County, everybody has down payment assistance programs, but there is a catch. This is the part that hurts. And the part that hurts is, is that there is a maximum allowable amount of income that a household can make. So you're capped there. The other part you have to look at, and you've got to be really careful, folks. I'll give like an example, Pasco County. Pasco County will not let you buy a home for more than 200000 for down payment assistance. Oh, wow. I believe the city of St. Petersburg is about 295000 so you might get 7,500, 10,000, 15,000, depending on where you catch the county and how much they're willing to give out. But if they cap you on how much you can buy, and then you have minimum restrictions on income, it makes it tougher. I was going to say, because like before I said, you know, the average home back then, but now to the average home now, sure. you're not going to find anything at 200,000 that... Or 300. Exactly. If I want to buy a home in St. Petersburg for 300,000, you could still get into a condo or a townhome, but if you want to live in a single-family detached home, one, it's it's going to be in, it's going to be tough. Yeah. It, it, it's it, going to be a big fixer-upper. It could be a fixer-upper, or you or might be in area. a non-desirable mm -hmm. area, which mm -hmm. you have to compromise. For people out there, please keep this in mind. If you're getting into an area that may be considered not as desirable as you like, please understand those areas are flipping, they're changing. Investors are coming in. They're buying those homes. They're fixing them up. So a lot of territories that may have been considered concerning are now becoming, slowly becoming the area to go to. Oh, yeah. I, I'll use Seminole as an example. I so, was just going to say the yeah. same thing. I used to live in Seminole Heights, mm -hmm. and this has been many, many, many years ago. Mm -hmm. I walked down one block. I was on Florida. It was used cars, empty buildings. Mm -hmm. It was not desirable. But now... Forget it. I mean, I'm, oh, I drove down there market. the other day, yeah, and hot you've market. got all these restaurants, mm. these condos, these little pop-up yeah. coffee shops. It's, like, gorgeous. Mm. And <laughs> the same house we sold many years ago at mm. 200000 it was a fixer-upper now because I went back and I saw that they had listed it on the MLS. Yes. $450, a wow. fixer-upper. Wow. Because we <laughs> sold it, that person sold it, and then I think it was like three owners later, and they totally trashed it, and it was just really bad. 450 a fixer-upper in Seminole Heights. I almost died. I told my husband, I was like, you have to see this. Now, is this somebody buying a home to live in, or is it someone buying it for investment? That's the big question. Well, I mean, right now, I don't know who, who ended up buying it. Right. But I'm just saying, if they were to buy there to live in there, yeah. you know. So that's a long-term hold, mm -hmm. right? So someone who's going to buy a home for $450, they are going to cover gap right, whatever they're going to do, if that person's living in there, they're a long-term hold. Mm -hmm. And that person's going to have pride of community. They're going to have pride of ownership. Uh, they met all of the metrics for affordability. If an investor was buying that, you they know. They might say, yeah. Well, and now you have a concern of how much did they put down, how much are they renting the home for, mm -hmm. are they going to cash flow. Um, so the fact that if you're looking at an area that is predominantly still acquisition is primary residence, those are long-term holds. I think those values are going to continue to surge okay. and appreciate. Well, I've done, well, when the rates were really low, I was doing refinances all day long. Yeah. And I had several people mm -hmm. from the Seminole Heights area, these bungalows. Mm-hmm. 500,000 and it's not that wasn't even 
you know, the max appraised price that people are getting loans for. And they're, you know, maybe 1,500 square feet home. Sure. I was talking to a gentleman. I did a couple of his refinances, and he was telling me that he had a detached garage that mm -hmm. he converted, and he was renting that for $1,500 oh, a month. Yeah, and I'm studios. like, a detached garage? Yeah. yeah. A little studio, up, you know, yeah. right, like you said, right above it. Yeah. It's that, I mean, now those areas, like you said, eventually does become desirable. Everybody yes. wants to go to Seminole Heights, you know? Everybody wants to live there, just like, um, what was that? Hyde Park. People were wanting sure. there. Now that's well, outrageous, just, too. Just down the street from here. I mm -hmm. mean, we're, we're down here in Harbor Island shooting this great video, and I think if you just kind of go in the outskirts, well, I remember there were times when, the, when you have a Tampa Bay Lightning game, you didn't park in a certain area because you were afraid to oh, go in yeah. that area. Now you see surmounting condos, you see lofts, you mm -hmm. see people buying residences, you see old factories being converted to eateries. Oh, so yeah. we're seeing massive changes. And, and that's the other thing. When you look at some of these areas that are technically considered maybe undesirable for one reason or another, they are flipping and they're going to change. So oh, yeah. it's still a good opportunity to look in those areas. Well, just right down here, um, Amateur Works. Yes. Yep. Another situation of mine. I like talking about my, my, my lively. But um, we had purchased a property. I came into, in doing a closing, I came into a situation and I had the opportunity to purchase a property from a, a, a lady. It was considered, it was off of Columbus. Mm -hmm. I mean, people back then think, okay, Columbus is still not a desirable area. Mm -hmm. We fixed it up, we sold it, and we thought we were selling it at the top of the market, you know, 220,000, two-story house, wow. nice size yard and everything. It was literally three walking blocks from amateur work. Wow. Now, I told my husband, we should have held well, should on Should have, would have, could have. Should have yeah. saved it. Could, yeah. you, could you imagine what oh, the cost it, it, is? Ex exponential growth there, yeah. But back yeah. then, it was, yeah, mm, yeah, yeah, you know, let's, yeah. let's fix it, let's sell it, and, you know, let's But remember, you're, we're now going to more of that mentality. Mm -hmm. We're going more to the mentality of a corrected market means a controlled market. Mm -hmm. So you, you will still see growth, maybe closer to 4 to 8%. Is it going to be 12 to 15 18%, 20% annual? Subjective, probably not going to happen. But we are seeing a 4 to 8% trajectory, mm -hmm. so more controlled growth. Yeah, yeah. good. Well, Nathaniel, <laughs> I love it. I love it because I know when we need something to, you know, someone to talk to about what's going on in the world, mm -hmm. what's going on with the market, how is it affecting, I know we can count on you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you having me. Thank you. Can you tell everybody how do they get a hold of you? Sure. Well, uh, so my name is Nathaniel Bittman, and uh, I'm Bittman, B-I-T-T-M-A-N, Bittman, at very simple nfmlending.com. Or you could call me anytime at 813-725-2006. And thank you for having me. Thank you. And by the way, if anyone wants to have a conversation, no obligation. Let's just talk about the market. I love there talking about go. the market. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you, Gabby. You're Thank you.